Cool, it's Rob Haynes here from the League of Beers, inside the League of Beers tasting and testing facility slash our office space. <laughs> I've got uh, Michael Ulifir here sitting in front of me, and we're going to chat about wine, beer, life, and Michael's thoughts about why craft beer is better than wine, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we're busy, we've got a wine expert and famous wine personality who we're going to try and convert to craft beer within one little podcast. Yeah, I don't think you have to do much in the way of converting. I'm pretty converted already. Okay, so, uh, preaching to the choir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So let, let's, let's roll things off with, can you give us, I don't know, a one minute bio of yourself, your background, how you got to wine and what it is you do today? Okay. Um, I was born on a wine farm. My parents are wine farmers, so I think it was fairly natural that that wine was a was part of life. Um, I then went to go and work um, at Lanzarac in Stellenbosch, which I was, was married a, on Lanzarac. Uh, so were you? We got something in common the two yeah. of us. This is the late <laughs> 1960s, which is probably slightly before you. I were was born. married later than that. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I worked there as a as a trainee, earning the princely sum of 60 rand a month for about three years, <laughs> and then went overseas. Um, I went to cooking school. Um, worked in hotels in London for a while, uh, and then came back. And then I had a sort of a, a, a two, a, a sort of a two-career thing from then until until now. I was either in public relations or else I was in the hospitality industry. We landed up with with um, uh, three of our own restaurants, okay. um, and then I went to work um, for Pick and Pay as a wine food specialist. All right. Um, so. Uh, I then retired at the end of 2011. And then by that time, I'd already started my website. It was very small and was a, quite a random thing. You know, I'd put up something once a week or something. Okay. And then suddenly I realized that, in fact, we could, we could use the website, we could grow it, and we could make it something fairly meaningful All right. um, by offering a unique service to wineries. Um, where, which included a radio component as well. Okay, so um, I mean, you've been into the, the, the audio side of things from 2011 already, so yeah, a pioneer. Yeah, probably a little bit later than that, but okay. um, it was, yeah, I would say probably about two, two and a half years ago. Okay. Um, two and a half years ago that we got into the... Leading the kind of podcast thing. So for yeah. those of you who are listening, this is a podcast right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And... Um, yeah, so now, I mean, we live in, in rural Bergfleet. Um, <laughs> Dresdor Farm is kind of a bit rural. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, look up onto the vineyards from my study. Okay. And I do almost in everything from there except going into the radio station twice a month to record the, record the podcasts. Okay. I do some podcasts in Johannesburg as well, but those are all done telephonically. All right. Brilliant. All through Skype. You know, yeah, yeah, I d- yeah. That when we're doing the the, the longer podcast, then I join them in Skype. Yeah, on Skype. Okay. That work, that also works very well. Okay, now on to beer. Yeah, um, tell me about your first craft beer experience that you can recall. Because <laughs> craft beer hasn't been around in South Africa for that long. Okay, um, I could go back to a craft beer experience of the late 1960s when my parents okay. used to make Here their own used to make their own beer. Right. Pioneer and, of nature. Yeah, and my dad, my dad used to bottle them in, um, in little sort of dumpy 
glass bottles which come from the, the dark side. And Yes, um, I remember. Call the ones, <laughs> yes. yes. And he he would he would make their beer and it would it would stand on a shelf and in his workshop in their house in Gordons Bay after they'd retired. And um, you'd be in the, his workshop doing something, and suddenly there would be this almighty explosion and beer flowing everywhere. <laughs> yeah, my mother made a curtain. <laughs> my mother made a curtain to hang down in front. But I think, I, I think in the sort of the the, the more recent time, um, I think you really were were responsible for for me getting into and really loving craft beer. Okay. Um, I mean, That's I can't think how long we've known each other, a couple yeah. of years maybe. But um, certainly um, uh, that, was, that was my introduction to craft beer. And uh, we were saying earlier before we started recording, you know, that if you're a, if you're a wine-oriented person, you tend to be quite experimental. Yeah. So that if you, if you then taste a, graf- a craft beer... Um, which you enjoy, mm. then um, I think for me certainly it was to explore the style of that particular kind of beer to start okay. off with, and then suddenly you're looking for you're looking for something else. You're looking yeah. for a bit more fruit. You're looking for a, a bit more weight on the palate. You're looking for perhaps a little bit more bitter. Um, so you get into it, and and it really becomes as interesting as um, as wine does. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I'd almost say that. The, the go-to brand for the craft beer drinker is craft beer mm. because the craft beer drinker doesn't necessarily is not necessarily all that loyal to one particular brand yes. but wants to drink more different varieties Absolutely. the whole time. And you get that a lot with wine drinkers as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's definitely a similarity. And certainly there are, there are some amazing, amazing craft beers around. Yeah, I, I'd Incredible. have to agree. I think South Africa, I mean... So we, um, you may know this, we bring in quite a bit of beer from around the world. Yes. We like to discover a world of craft beer. But I'd say on the local scale, there's a lot of guys who are still finding their feet, but there's a lot of producers who are producing world-class beer. Absolutely. If I compare this to some of the stuff I've tasted while traveling or some of the things we've brought in, we've got some world-class craft beers in South Africa already. Yeah, certainly. Absolutely. And the interesting thing too, you know, people using um, sort of local ingredients to flavor their beers as well. Yeah, yeah. It's quite fun. Oh, yeah, like... um, What's uh, Stuart's Thompson? Lux and Lager. Lager yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. So that, that's quite a clever concept. Yeah. Using the, the buchu and those local Absolutely. herbs. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We must share this with Stuart. He'll be happy to be included <laughs> in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but normally Stuart does the talking. Stuart always does the talking, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so then I'd like to ask you, so if you've been involved, involved in the wine movement, let's call it in South Africa, for this period of time, you obviously saw how wine grew in South Africa over the yes. last kind of 20, 30, I mean, uh, South African wine had a massive explosion in South Africa from, well, almost internationally from about 94, 95. Yes, yes. I mean, that's what they say. There was that wine article speaking about Nelson Mandela being one of the most influential people in South African wine mm. because it almost opened us up to the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's that on the one aspect and there's also the kind of the Garagista movement which has come and gone and come over the couple of years and there's the growth, I'd say, from the 60s and 70s all the way through to today. Mm. What parallels can you draw from that into where craft beer is in South Africa right now? Well, look, I mean, if you take something like the Platter, the Platter um, South African Wine Guide, um, I, I actually launched the first Platter Guide for John and Eric oh, Platter. Wow. Um, it was 81. And you look at that book, and I've got the complete collection, every single issue until this year. It was a thin little book that you could slip into your jacket pocket um, or into your handbag. Yeah. 
Um, now it's it's of such proportion that you almost need a, a toto to carry it for you. Um, and I think people who in the past were were grape growers for cooperative wineries yeah. um, saw their their wines for which they'd supplied the grapes winning medals on young wine shows on yeah. on bottled wine shows and a lot of a lot of them i think thought hey i could do this yeah okay and and that movement really started in in Franschhoek. all right um with michael troll who owned labrie farm um he suddenly realized this could be done he used to deliver his grapes to the Franschhoek co-op and they would make his wine with his label on okay and th- I think really that's really where the whole thing goes back to, and as you say, it's exploded. Yeah. And and um, the the garage east movement I think is 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 alive and well. Um, there's some really interesting wines coming out there, and then you've got all these young guys who don't have wineries but who hire corners of other people's wineries yeah. who buy a little vineyard there and a vineyard there and yeah. they're sort of the so-called young Turks yes, um, who are doing amazing, amazing stuff. And making some great wine. I mean, making I think of my friend Peter Allen who's been going for a couple of years now yeah. uh, with uh, Cristalum and that also, I mean, he started with, with very little yeah. besides a cool brand and a cool dude. And yeah, and, a, and a very good wine consultant too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, Peter Allen and my daughter were at school together. Really? Yeah, yeah, in Hermanus. Okay, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we were in high school together. Oh, man, you're a wine. Yes. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Sorry about You'll that. You'll be forgiven. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, and um, you know, and the craft beer thing has grown too. Okay. Um, I yeah. mean, there's some there's some some big big producers like you know CBC and Devil's Peak, and but the smaller guys are producing some quite exciting stuff. Yeah. Well, on on that, I'm not sure if you if you know about this, but um, Darling have just built a CBC size brewery out in Darling. Um, Jack Black. We were bringing at CBC. Yes. have just built, well, busy building, a CBC size oh, brewery. Isn't that interesting? Um, Devil's Peak is a decent size. Woodstock is a decent size. Mm-hmm. Um, Boston has now got a lot of spare capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brickfields is apparently going ahead, and they reckon that's going to be twice the size. Wow. Um, there's Mad Giant, which are building one of these size facilities. So, cheers, Joe. So there's a there's a lot of um, a lot of decent size big breweries getting built. Besides the the guys brewing out of the garages. Mm. And those big bre- those big bigger brewers, I think, also have a, a greater opportunity at ensuring quality standards, yeah, consistency, big time. Um, because I think the smaller the smaller brewers, I think, while I don't think there's anything wrong with the quality, I certainly think consistency has been an issue. So I want to get onto that then on a potentially uh, sensitive topic. So when you brew in. Having a good, consistent brewer who's focused on hygiene and temperature control is highly, highly important. So mm. the more meticulous your brewer, the better. The more better your, your brewer is as a cleaner, the better. Mm. Um, the more flamboyant your brewer, the more challenging because yeah. it might not be an attention to detail type. Yeah. But um, a good brewery with good stainless steel equipment and good cooling equipment and everything like that can make up for many lack of skills and can yeah. actually ensure much better beer yeah. than brewing out of a garage home brewing operation. Yeah. Right? And beer particularly is very sensitive because of the low alcohol and the acidity levels. There's a lot of potential for bacteria and problems to sneak in. Mm-hmm. And it's also because of the lo- lighter flavors of beer versus wine. 
and other alcohol spirits, mm. the, fla- the, the off flavors show quite quickly. Yeah. Now we've got a lot of creative brewers in South Africa. You know, we've got almost 150 brewers or even more. Mm. And there's a lot of home brewers brewing a wild amount of creative beers. But consistency and quality is becoming an issue. The mm. guys, the bigger brewers, breweries are tending to be fine, but a lot of the smaller guys... One batch will be will blow my mind. The next next batch will not be quite there, and this mm. is kind of coming through. Now, a lot of the excuse me rambling on too much. Um, a lot of the uh, the consumers are getting to know their beers more and more. And at first, there was a, well, this is interesting and different, but now it's getting to the point where there's less of a tolerance for beers that aren't quite right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, how would that compare to the wine garagista movement and people's tolerance towards inconsistency or tolerance towards um, flavors that maybe aren't supposed to be there mm. like where would you say that is what are your thoughts on that yeah look i think i think if you the the garagists um I, I think it's a i think it's a good movement um i think it's bringing people into wine um and a number of the garagists are making their wines in cellars which are clean and perfect and good just you know using a part of the cellar to, to, to make their wines. Yeah. Um, I think it's the it's the people who perhaps are not that au fait with the sort of the, the sort of chemical hygiene um, side of wine yes. where you get the where you get the errors. Yeah. Of course with wine you also have the you also have the expression of the of the vintage itself. So weather plays a huge part. Whereas I don't think with beer weather plays any part no. at all. No, I mean that's you get your so, ingredients standardized. Yeah, so yeah. that you could theoretically, if you were making an IPA, for example, whether you made it in June or February or whenever, or yes. this year, next year, the year after, essentially you're using the same ingredients, you're making the same product, and that I think is is way more important than the smaller winemaker, the garagiste type of, of winemaker who's got the variations of of vintage and maybe can't afford to buy a new oak barrel uh, or two this year and yes. will use previous filled barrels. So the, the, the effect of the oak on the wine is perhaps not as great as it was in the previous vintage, for argument's sake. So I think there's, a, there's, a, the, uh, there's some excellent garagiste winemakers um, I think they're a lot more sort of weather dependent and um, the influences of things like how many tons per hectare you take off your vine. Yeah. Um, all those sort of things are very different for... And they can't influence the farmer as much as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All very different if you're, a, if you're a craft brewer. Yes. Because at least the weather doesn't come into it. The tons of product off per hectare doesn't come into it. And... Your consumer tolerance for inconsistencies in 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 wine or in beer, garage yeast wine. Um, I think there's such a selection out there. Okay. I mean, I talk to my friends who are in the who are in the wine business, and they're it's they're they're battle every single day to get their wine onto the shelf. And I think if you've got a a, a product as a as a smaller producer, a garage yeast type person. If you've got a product that maybe this year is not quite as good as it was last year, mm. your last year people are going to buy it, yes. and then they're going to say, "Oh, oh this is not, but this is not what it was last year." But they'll start looking for other for yes. other products. Whereas I think with craft beer, um, I always believe there's more experimentation w- with 
with craft beer than there is with the with the general run of the mill wine drinker. Yes. Um, whereas with craft beer, if you if you take a good bottle off the shelf on Friday, mm. um, you're going to be back the next Friday yes. to get the same beer again because you enjoyed it so much. You want your mates to taste it. You yes. want to see what it's like with your wife's mm, ox cheek casserole rather than the the Boudivos you bride last week. Yeah. Because I think there's a there's a there's a growing. Um, I don't, there's, a, there's, there's like a sort of almost a tidal wave of beer not being looked upon as something that the guys drink around the braai. Yes. Beer, there, there are perfect food matches with beer. Yeah. You can take, you can go through a whole meal drinking different kinds of, mm. drinking different kinds of beer, which will, which will match your food as well as, as any wine will match a food. Yeah, no, I like to think so as well. I mean, I do a lot of food and beer, and beer pairing, so hopefully it does work. Yeah, I'm um, sure it does. So, yeah, I mean, there's a broad flavor spectrum to beers, so a lot of them can work really well. Um, yeah. So, two last questions I'd like to ask you before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit more lighthearted and fun. Um, when I'm drinking wine, I very, I'll never drink sweet wine, except when I'm pairing a sweet red with a strong blue cheese. Yeah. Because I think it's a pairing that was made in heaven. Yes. I also think a crisp, hoppy pale ale and a spicy garlic um, muscle uh, chowder is amazing. Yeah. And it's also one of those matches made in heaven. Absolutely. Of all the craft beers and all the meals you can think, what would be one of your favorite pairings of a style and a dish? <laughs> well, I told you about that um, amber vice that we had at nine o'clock in the morning once. Yeah. I... I think that that's a very light style of beer. Yes. Goes really well with a good breakfast. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, sometimes when one has a sort of a latish breakfast on a Saturday, yeah, it's actually quite fun to put, to put a beer with it. Like a good vice beer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. I would hope that you might start liking sweet wine eventually because there's some wonderful sweet wines. Okay. <laughs> um, but... I mean, I can think of of beers that go well with really good cheddar cheese, you okay. know, like Dalewood, that Huguenot Dalewood. Yeah. And I mean, if you if you if you make a sort of a, um, a sort of a uh, a Welsh rabbit type of yes. of dish with a with a nice piece of 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 toasted sourdough bread, okay. and a really nice um, um, cheddar. Or cheddar style like the Huguenot is, um, that's absolutely made for a nice lager. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I hear you. Okay. I think you have other pub food like steak and kidney pies and all sorts of things. Yes. Go well with any number of beers and and dessert too. I mean, you know, if you get those lovely sort of bold, dark brown, wonderful um, beers with lots of flavour, or even those the Belgian sort of fruit. Yes. Fruit beers, I think, also go really well with dessert. I'll tell you a, a great pairing that I had. Um, uh, Pete Coughwood made Malva pudding, which I thought Malva pudding is the most boring dish you could have. Mm. But his Malva pudding was insanely delicious, paired with a stout, just was like yeah. a match made in heaven. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, okay, then the final question. Now that, we've spoken to, now that you've made me hungry, speaking about delicious dishes, uh -huh. and we've spoken about beer, 
what specifically beer style and name, so not name and shame, but a name and fame, mm-hmm. which, which beer do you most look forward to next drinking when you next pop open a beer? Wow. Um, again, because of the sort of the experimental thing, it's, um, uh, it's difficult. But I mean, if I had to go home now and drink a beer... Yep, something in your fridge ready to go right now. I would probably go for the CBC Mandarina. Cool. Good option. Mm. Very nice. Greg, who does... Greg Gilloway from uh, Beer Country does our videos. That's his favorite beer. So you're no, really. pretty good company. Oh, good. I'm happy about that. <laughs> awesome. Michael, thank you very much for joining Such us. Such a pleasure. It's Such been a great pleasure. to have you. Thank you. In our beer tasting facility slash office. <laughs> and we will catch up again soon. Excellent. Cheers. Thank you so much. Bye.